Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, filmmakers, conservationists, editors, writers and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, what goes on in their minds, how they approach their work and how they make it pay. The podcast also looks at the role that photography and filmmaking plays in helping to raise awareness about the global plight of species. And despite the depressing statistics, we look for solutions of what we can all do to contribute to conservation. All my guests give up their precious time and are incredibly generous in spirit. So this is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. This week, my guest is Hannah Stitfull. Hannah is a wildlife producer, filmmaker, and presenter. Her warm style reaches all ages and backgrounds and covers a range of topics from wildlife on our doorsteps to exotic animals further afield. And she inspires many to speak up and get involved in protecting nature. With her unique style, Hannah has garnered quite a following. In fact, she's thrilled that a significant number of people in fact, she's thrilled that a significant number of her audience are not your archetypal wildlife lover. She describes them as normal people and feels it more important to capture the hearts and minds of those not directly linked in the world of wildlife photography and conservation. In this episode, we find out how a Roald Dahl book inspired her love for wildlife, the buzz she gets from animal encounters, and her route to becoming a much-loved BBC Springwatch presenter. And on a side note, Something new for 2021, I've teamed up with Nature Through the Lens, a fantastic and free online resource covering everything from tutorials and equipment reviews to workshops and inspirational articles from some of the world's leading nature photographers. NTTL also sell a range of ebooks for more in-depth learning and includes topics about breaking into the business of wildlife photography, essential guides to using filters, and tips and trips for astrophotography. And if you want to purchase any of this amazing content, you can receive a 10% discount by using the code MAT10 at checkout. That's M-A-T-T-1-0. Just head over to naturettl.com to find out more. Right, that's enough from me. On with the show. Hannah, welcome along. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Um, I've been tracking you down for a number of months now, I think. But, you know, with all my elite guests, with I think you're one of those. <laughs> yeah, they're hard to get. So I really appreciate you coming on. And we're gonna have a lot of fun. And um, you are well, you're living in Cornwall now, right? Is it is it snowing down there right now? It must be pretty beautiful. Do you know what, Matt, I've been waiting for snow for so long. And there's not there's not a single sign of it as of yet. I mean, I live in Newquay, so I always say we've got our own climate here in Newquay. It can be it can be snowing everywhere else in Cornwall. <laughs> it won't be here. So um, I'm waiting with bated breath, but I think I'm going to be waiting a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just talking a bit um, before we went on air about you being in lockdown, kind of now getting a little bit tired of it but you've been certainly making the most of it you said you've been been busier than ever but yeah tell us a little bit about what you've been up to yeah well I mean the last year I know we spoke about me coming on here quite a while ago but um 
It's just been a busy time. I mean, it's weird to think that 2020, I was meant to be out of the country for pretty much six months of the year. And when COVID hit, myself and my cameraman were in Sri Lanka. And uh, at the time, COVID was bubbling, but nobody knew what it would become. And we managed to get the first shoot done, went up north to an elephant sanctuary. And then um, that was it. The world was shutting down, which was it was quite scary, especially being abroad then. And then you've got, you know, your boss ringing you up going, look, we need to get you back because everyone's going into lockdown. Nobody even knew what lockdown was then. And we were in a foreign country and we were just very aware that we had to get back very, very quickly. And that 24 hours was, that journey back was nuts. And as I was telling you before we came on here, I uh, I suffer with allergies and Myself and my cameraman, we got the flight to Dubai Airport, and that was one of the last airports open in the Middle East, so we had to get there. And um, I started sneezing on the plane um, <laughs> just through allergy. And you, you've got to remember, at the time, nobody knew what the symptoms of COVID was at all. It was just a global pandemic. And when I start sneezing, I can't stop. I got. I was getting death stares from everybody on the plane, just staring at me. And we had no tissue, so my cameraman Ben got out one of his lens cloths and gave it to me. So I was using that on my face, and everyone was just looking at me like they were going to kill me. <laughs> Thank um, God for the cameraman, most expensive tissue you've ever used. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so then came back. Um, but to be honest, it, it's been an amazing year. It's been an amazing year for British wildlife conservation and communication and coming back and obviously working on the watches. It, because of lockdown, it turned it into something completely different. And we found so many new ways to communicate with the general public about British wildlife issues. And people have been more engaged with it than ever before, which is fantastic. I think it's brilliant, isn't it? And I think there's been such a thirst for it. I think that's one of been one of the great things about the pandemic is people really appreciating wildlife in their own country. And whether that's a park, a balcony, or you know where you live, where you can walk in some nice fields or go down to the beach, that is something that we would have taken for granted before. And now we've got it. And I think, and and I think also it really demonstrates our resilience. Um, you know, BBC did an amazing job of pulling all of those programs together. And um, I think it was their recognition of a real responsibility for the mental health of the nation, perhaps. Totally and utterly. And do you know what? All of a sudden, what us conservationists and naturalists and wildlife people have wanted for so long, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to know what that snail was in their garden. What is that? What's that beetle? How many species of ladybird have we have we got? And it sounds silly, but especially with younger people, they all of a sudden became so interested and that's what we've wanted for years because if you get them with the small things, then that will grow into something else and hopefully we've we've made a lot of people more interested in wildlife and conservation, you know? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And do you, has, have there been any talks, I don't know, with the BBC or, you know, with the other people you work with, your friends and colleagues about 
how to continue that interest and foster that learning when you know restrictions do ease and people can travel again because we don't want to go back to where we were we want to continue this love and uh, celebration of British wildlife no I don't know I think we're just going to have to see how it pans out but hopefully this last year because so many new and different people have come to British wildlife and become interested in its conservation they're interested in what's in their garden they want to know what's down their street what what is that bird on the roof because this has now been going on for a year now hopefully that has become ingrained in them and that won't be lost but we're just going to have to keep pushing across social media keep pushing with our programming just to remind people but I hope and I do feel that it's it's made a lasting impression on a lot of people that normally it wouldn't have. So that can only be seen as a positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to you, you talk about getting young people um, engaged with nature. Can you tell us a bit about your first brush with nature as a youngster <laughs> and what you remember of it and, and how you got hooked? Well, um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, my way into nature, natural history is not the normal route, should we say. You know, I had a very normal upbringing. I wasn't surrounded by wildlife, very average, normal, not wildlife holidays, you know. And my you mean you didn't go to the Maldives, you know, on, no, on summer I, holidays? I very bog standard, you know nothing out of the ordinary really but my first book when I left play school was Fantastic Mr Fox and I remember that and that that spawned my interest in in wildlife but then I lost it for many many years I didn't know what I wanted to do I had no interest in wildlife I was a complete rebel at school you know I was in Halford's car park drinking white lightning, let's be honest. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's what I was doing. I really didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But my parents didn't pressurise me to go to university at all. And I ended up travelling for about six years, you know. Wow. I hitchhiked across Australia. I went all through. I've cleaned more pub toilets than most people <laughs> have had hot dinners, let's be honest, right? I was going to ask how you made that pay. I mean, yeah, I mean, God, I did chalet hosting, you know, caravan cleaning, pub, like a lot of cleaning, you know. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of cleaning in my, in my youth, Matt, let's be honest. Um, but during that time... It was when I, I fell in love with the natural world and going to all of these places through Central America, South America, I could see its destruction. And I was like, this isn't right. This is not right at all. So when I came back to the UK, I, I knew I wanted to do something with wildlife, but I had no idea what. I definitely didn't think I was clever enough to do anything sciencey, God forbid, that was like my worst thing at school. But I applied to do a foundation degree in wildlife here in Newquay, and it's Plymouth University that ran the course, and I got in. And then I ended up doing a full zoology degree, got first class, um, but that's because I was interested. 
amazing. It was a few years later and I was interested in the subject. I wanted to make it work. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but then I started delivering talks and helping out at Nuki Zoo and people started saying to me, they were like, this is what you should do. You should get into communicating because when you talk, people really have a good time. You engage people. So I was like, oh, maybe I should think about filmmaking. Maybe, oh, okay, all right. And then now I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great story, isn't it? It seems like passion was your your true driver. Yeah, it, it was. And I think, you know, I think it's... I think it's cruel to ask teenagers what they want to do with the rest of their life when they're 18. I mean, most of them want to go to Thailand and drink buckets on the beach. I mean, I know I did, and that's what I did. But at the same time, that influence from around the world made me realise how much we were destroying our planet and how much species were suffering. I mean, you know, I remember seeing people taking elephant rides and with the elephants chained up and I was just like that's not right how can we change this how and the natural way into changing people's minds changing people's opinions getting them interested in conservation is through communication whether that be filmmaking presenting writing I'm not the best writer so that will never be something I do um hey be careful you know who would have thought you'd be presenting to the BBC (laughs) when you were drunk on white lightning in Halfords not me (laughs) not me i tell you that right now right now i will go back to this podcast when you've when you're signing your first book you know (laughs) presenting it at waterstones cues out the front door (laughs) i don't think that'll ever happen but if it does all right we'll go back to this but you know and i think because my route is so unlike so many other people's you know Wildlife filmmaking has always been an elitist subject. You know, you have to have money to get into it. You've you've got to have a nice camera when you're 17 or, you know, and it's always been the same class of people doing it. And I think one of the reasons that I've had the success I've had so quickly is because I actually care and I'm just a normal person, you know, and I think people I know my audience on social media a lot of them they're not wildlife people they're just normal people and I don't know if they follow me because of the way I talk or because I clearly am just a normal person I don't use the longest words I'm just you know your average Joe Um, but whenever I post something about conservation the amount of messages that I get about god I didn't realize that yes I am gonna email my MP So it's about breaking out of the norm and the echo chamber that has been created in natural history for so, so long. Yeah, and it's not only the echo chamber with preaching to the converted in terms of the audience, but also the people, like you say, working in the industry. You know, and I know the industry is taking a look at itself, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of the demographic and 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 the class, and and that's good. And things are changing, probably a bit slowly, but these things do take time. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're right. I think it's interesting also in in stills photography about it being. I, that's very much what I used to say. To um, I run workshops and 
and when I talk to my clients there, I talk about how, you know, in the film days, it really was an elite subject. You, you needed a hundred, 200 rolls of film to do, you know, one shoot, who's got the budget for that, <clears throat> the lighting, the assistance, everything else. But I think the good thing about now is digital, it really democratized photography. So you can actually get, you know, a half decent camera or you can go out with your phone and make a film and put it on social media and engage people. Um, so that's definitely, definitely a positive thing. So, I mean, it sounds like you've kind of taken this unconventional journey, which is great. Did you, how did you deal with like imposter syndrome, you know, when you're going through, you know, doing your zoology degree, you know, starting to present, do you, does that, did, was that ever an issue for you? Did it ever bother you? Did you just get on with it? It, it do you know what the I think we all suffer from the imposter syndrome in some way shape or form um and I've been in many situations where because I don't come from mummy and daddy's money and I don't go on all these trips and you know I've been in many situations where it's reminded that I'm not the right class to be involved in wildlife conservation or natural history. But you know what, Matt? I just don't care because I know what I'm doing holds some significant weight because, you know, 150 to 200 species are going extinct every single day. Biodiversity is disappearing at an unprecedented rate, more so than ever seen before in the human race and if I can reach a different demographic yeah maybe not your hardcore wildlife watchers if I can reach some different people and change their minds towards conservation or educate them a little bit then I'll be happy so you know you just have to not care what people think and remember why you're doing it. It's not It's not for fame. It's not for money. It's because the world's in serious trouble. And that's what brought me to this career in the first place. And as long as I'm true to that, then people can say what they want. And they will. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. It's one of the, the, the downsides of social media, isn't it? It's, it's great being able to reach people. But there are, well, let's face oh. it, there are, some, there are some real idiots out there. <laughs> They're obsessed with my teeth. Like, <laughs> really? Everything I do, honestly, I could say badgers have landed on the moon and found unicorns, and uh, you know, <laughs> and they'd still be about six comments about my teeth. I'd just like to set the record straight here. They're real. I haven't whitened them. There's nothing I can do about them. Can you just leave it, please? I can't do anything about it. It's like saying something about someone's eye colour. I can't do anything about my teeth, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you heard it. You heard it, people. Oh, my God. I know. You have to the, – the, and, and it's really – it's great to hear that. It's great to hear, and, you know, for the people wanting to get into presenting or filmmaking or whatever area in in in, yeah, in the natural history world, it's, it is refreshing to hear because – I think that there are so many barriers that are put up and you do have to be thick skinned. You do have to just get on with it. Um, it's very, very competitive, um, as we know, but more than ever, people are interested in it and that's what we have to seize. And, and I think 
like you say, being able to reach an audience that you wouldn't otherwise have been able to reach perhaps without social media and also with you and your personality, then that's progress uh, because, yeah. yeah, we definitely don't need to be telling preaching to the converted anymore and totally and we need as many different voices as possible you know we're in we're in a crisis the more the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned and it doesn't matter what your background is where you come from if you've got something to say and you're passionate about something whether it be elephants to seagrass it doesn't matter start talking about it because I guarantee you will you will reach one person that then might pass on that message. Do you know? Yeah, I mean? it doesn't matter yeah. how many followers you've got. Doesn't matter about any of that. It doesn't matter. Just start talking about it because we we need as many people as possible. Yeah, that's right. And I think sometimes, you know, I, we talk about this a lot on on the podcast conservation. And a good friend of mine who I interviewed a couple of years ago. Um, his name's Josh and he's the country director for Fauna and Flora International in Vietnam and their main um, issue is, is is tackling primate conservation and he said this great thing that you know if you think globally it's just depressing and you know that's another stat what was it 150 species a day did you say I mean that's just estimated un- 150 to 200 yeah it's just it's, it's just depressing hours yeah I mean so every day you wake up we've lost another 150 to 200 species. Um, so if you think about that, well, there's no, there'd be no point in, in waking up. So you have to think locally, you have to just think about continuing to get the message out there, despite feeling like you're, it's such an uphill struggle. Um, and so I think that's, that, that is really good. That's really positive way of dealing with it is actually just getting out there and doing something about it. Cause there, well, there's just frankly not enough time. Totally. But anyway, I was also interested because, you know, in your journey to, you know, become some, I'm sure some people would be interested, but you really cut your teeth, didn't you, as, um, you know, working on the floor, running, doing, uh, being, being a digital assistant. I had a look through your, your LinkedIn. So it wasn't, oh, you know, you've, you're a bit of a character. You're good at presenting at a zoo. Here's a BBC job. You really went through, um, you went through a process. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I, d- I mean, I... After completing my zoology degree, I applied to do the Masters in Wildlife Filmmaking at UE. Um, again, didn't think I'd get in. I was like, they're not, they're not going to want me. But I got in. And then straight after that, Tim Schoons, who is a legend of all legends, um, ex-BBC um, executive producer, he, um, he got in touch with me and it was the time when Blue Planet 2 was going out. And he was heading up a digital campaign called Back the Blue Belt. So that was my straight, the minute I left the Masters, I was working straight away. And then um, a job came up on the watchers to run their social media. And because- Sorry, I should just say, for those who don't know, we're talking about spring watch, oh, autumn yeah, so- watch, winter watch. <laughs> I know. Watch, autumn watch and winter watch and all, all, all the other watches in between. <laughs> um and I kind of fell into the digital realm because I specialise in the illegal wildlife trade on social media. That's what I did my dissertation in. Um, so the digital realm is something I've always been incredibly interested in. I mean, you know, 
I, I studied it for a year and illegal wildlife trading, which is um, some projects I've been working on for a very long time, hopefully going to get them off the ground finally this year after COVID, COVID pending. Um, so I sort of fell into the digital realm. And then, so I got my first job on Springwatch, did that, loved it, learned so much. And then my contract ended, moved back to Cornwall. I was thinking, right, okay, what am I going to do? And then um, Springwatch rang me up and they were like, we need you. So I said, all right. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I suppose this year for many people, working from home and remotely has been a whole new kettle of fish, you know, but I've been doing it for years. So for me, it hasn't, it hasn't been a difference at all. I've always been in this office. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for years, for years. <laughs> it's a bit much now. <laughs> That's brilliant. And so are you also, you're also doing work outside of the BBC umbrella are you doing your own thing at the same time I I am yes I've got some very exciting projects coming up this year what can you tell us are they all hush I can, hush I can tell you I'll tell you about the first one which is something I've wanted to make for for ages now again Covid put a kibosh on many things, as it did for everybody. Um, but this July, myself and um, my work partner Ben will be going to Iceland to make a film about Arctic foxes. Oh climate wow! Change. Yeah, it's a really important story of conservation there because Arctic foxes, in their other habitats, when lemming populations are low, they're quite reliant on the sea ice, and they will actually follow polar bears. Um, but of course, sea ice is disappearing, which will have effects on polar bears and Arctic foxes. But the ice, the, the Arctic foxes that live in Iceland, they're not reliant on sea ice. They're an island population. However, they're split into two ecotypes. So there's the Western coastal population that is fully protected. They only got protected in, I think, it's a few years ago, maybe 1994, but the rest of the Arctic foxes there, they're not protected. And the climate is starting to have a big effect on them. But the population of Arctic foxes in Iceland could become one of the most important populations in the world because they don't have to worry about, about the sea ice disappearing. So it's a story I've wanted to tell for a very long time and um, it's going to be an independent film and I can't wait this is COVID pending. I mean, I haven't booked the flights yet, but... <laughs> My God, if, everyone, if you could see Hannah's face right now, she's like a a, <laughs> a, a a little girl, you know, on Christmas Eve, just very, very excited to get out of it. Now I understand why people comment on your teeth. <laughs> oh, I know, it's a nightmare. There's nothing I can do about it. I've got a big mouth, people, deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. I mean, when, you know, I asked about the independent filmmaking because... I think that's, you know, it's a really interesting opportunity for, again, people that don't have commissions, just go out and make their own stuff. But then the hardest part is trying to sell this or get this stuff broadcast. You know, what what kind of route will you take with this? Will you go straight to the BBC or will you look for other other outlets? No, I think this is, uh, I'm going down the route with my own stuff to get, um, we've got funding from elsewhere like conservation charities or brands and stuff, because 
I mean, we can't afford to go and make our own films. So it's about working within charities that, okay, so that can sit on that platform. We can work with you in this way. Do do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, And some of the films I'm making this year... I don't really want to sell them for broadcasts. I want I want to tell the un the unfiltered non PC version of the stories. Yeah, yeah. Which in some cases doesn't make it all right for broadcasts. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. And this is one of the great I don't know, the great ironies of it, you know, the the blue chip flagship series that of course are so good and so important that inspire so many people, but you know, I remember experiencing this for the first time. I think what you're talking about was when I did. You see the documentary Grizzly Man it came out in 2003. It was all about this guy Timothy yeah, Treadwell, yeah. who <clears throat> this crazy guy who lived in Alaska and he claimed he was protecting the bears. And this was oh, yeah. yeah, and then he, you know he ends up getting killed and eaten by one. And it was you know it was just it was it was an inevitability. But the story was amazing. It was a Werner Herzog film, and he put it together using all of Timothy Treadwell's own footage, just shot on a camcorder. And remember, this is like pre-digital. It was on a kind of pretty budget camcorder. But this guy got some extraordinary footage of these bears, like very Mm. unprofessional, but just raw. And that's what was so incredible. And there was this whole sequence in the film with one camera, no slow motion, no flashy angles of these two bears that came to blows. Now, you know, as you probably know, it doesn't often happen. It's usually posturing and they size each other up and then, but these two were evenly matched. And it was so difficult to watch because these bears were basically tearing chunks out of each other. And it was raw, it was unedited, it was brutal. And then he went over to the site when they'd finished um, fighting, in fact, during, the 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 fight there was so much um testosterone and so much anger and so much force that one of the bears crapped itself basically and i was thinking wow would you see that you know in 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 100 frames per second on a bbc documentary i doubt it but he went over to the site where they'd been fighting and he was just like oh my god it looks like you know two tractors have been here and just torn up the ground and there were chunks of bear flesh and fur everywhere and I was thinking, yeah, this stuff happens, doesn't it? We don't get to see this. Um, so I think, yeah, that is, that, you know, it's an antidote to, to, to the other side and, and doing it unedited and is, I think is, it, in a way, it's perhaps more of a truthful way of, of telling it the story. It is, definitely. But, I mean, you know, you look at natural history programming is so important like there has never been a more important time for natural history programming to reach the millions that it does but you look at you know the effect that blue planet 2 has it was called the blue planet 2 effect wasn't it and the the Mm. digital team that worked alongside that and what they did i mean the series was phenomenal as a tv series but it was all of the extra bits that ran alongside it that made it what it was. And that team just hats off to them. Do you know what I mean? And But the thing is, we need to be doing that with 
every single flagship natural history program, all natural history programs. We need to create that noise and that investment from people all over the world. Like, oh, I I didn't know that happened. Or, oh God, that's really bad. I want to find out more about that. And that could be in a simple Instagram post or a simple cut down on a Facebook page. We need to we need to create the Blue Planet 2 effect with every single program, you know. It's almost like these programs need to be, they need to be campaigns, don't they? That's that, that's it to affect, you know, some kind of change. Um, well, this and this is really exciting that you're going to be making a film about foxes because, of course, we, we need to talk about foxes. <laughs> this is how we first connected last year. Um, Hannah and I actually, well, we did a, a, a digital spring watch short and then, We've also done something for BBC Earth Together, which I don't believe has been released yet, but both of them around foxes. And it was great when uh, Ben got in touch and mentioned, oh, you know, you'll be doing this with Hannah, one of our presenters, and her favourite animal is foxes. I was like, oh, this is great. And then when we were on um, on uh, camera together, you were wearing your wonderful fox shirt and I had my fox mug. We were like a couple of geeks <laughs> dining out on foxes. So... It goes back to this fantastic Mr. Fox book, but they're your favourite animal, is that right? Slight, slightly obsessed, have been since I was little, absolutely love them. And you know what, I remember we spoke about this last year, I had never seen a real countryside fox. Well, no, I'd seen a couple once from a train and once at like three o'clock in the morning when I was coming home from nightclub drunk, but that doesn't count. I could have been a person for all I know. Um, <laughs> but it was last year, managed to track down my first countryside fox den and I spent hours, hours. I mean, one day I sat, I sat in the hedge for, I think it was about 12, 14 hours and I got a glimpse of the vixen at like nine o'clock at night, really far away. Couldn't take a photograph. Couldn't believe it. Um, but they are—they are just fantastic animals. And do you know what? What I find really special about you know, not just foxes, but badgers and and deer, is the feeling that it gives you that almost primeval feeling. You know, when if there's wolves or bears, just knowing that there are these large mammals, I love that. And that we can coexist and they're just out there doing their bit. I love I love knowing where my fox den is. I love knowing where the badger set is. And that excitement. If we could bottle that that love and excitement for having large mammals roam the countryside with us, then we wouldn't have a problem with persecution, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's funny that I mean persecution is like the complete opposite of that feeling and I love how you describe it of you know you're sort of holding holding your chest because you do you kind of feel it in in your chest and it makes me think of um I don't know if you've read Feral George Monbiot's book um it's it's so such a good book and there's a whole chapter in it about um you know every year there's a, a a new story in like the star or the express about i don't know the beast of bodmin moor and and it's always a cat isn't it or some you know some animal that it never is because there's never any evidence for it but he talks about how because our countryside is so depleted you know we hunted all of our large carnivores but how there's still a need like within us for a thrill you know and that is why you know when we walk in the forest even though we, we know we're not going to get eaten by anything perhaps there's a chance that oh the beast of bodmin moors out there that, you know maybe there is a wildcat still that has gone undetected and actually it's part of our dna it's part of our makeup 
and part of the thrill of just being out in nature. And I think how you describe that is 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 great, isn't it? Just knowing that those animals are out there doing their thing. Totally. And that that's I think what draw has always drawn me to foxes so much is because they they are large mammals and just to know that they're out there. And it's that feeling. I'm getting it now when I'm thinking about it. You know, I'd love to see one just walking past my window. I live on a council estate, so that's not going to happen. Or maybe it would, you know. <laughs> but, um, if it would in London, it would if exactly, you were in London. Exactly, yeah. that's it. But they really are so, so special. And the fact that they're still persecuted, it is, do you know, it's beyond me. You know, 85% of the British public are opposed to fox hunting. It's illegal. I mean, come on, guys, read the room. This is so Victorian times. What are you doing? Do you, do you know what I mean? It just, it's mind boggling to me. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I hope, my hope is, you know, this year with, with, you know, Zoom meetings being exposed with all the, all the huntsmen and a lot of licenses being revoked, COVID, you know, being a big interrupter. So in the short term, that's a good thing. Quite a few hundred foxes probably survived, but also the fact that it's back in, you know, the public eye, it's in the media. And, and I mean, I think it's also, you know, this comes back to a whole class debate as well, doesn't it? And I think yeah. that's what's also so fascinating about the fox, you know, the fox, you know, perhaps represents, you know, the peasants and <clears throat> sort of outwitting the, uh, yeah, <laughs> the fox is the Essex girl <laughs> out, 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 outwitting the ruling class. That's oh my goodness. The name of my book, which, which I'll never write. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely buy that book. <laughs> Do you know what? The re I mean, I found this box and with the help of my friend Dave, who I can't I mean, he's he's very much in me and my friend Dave were the only two people sort of that I know down here that are really into wildlife and we share all of our spots and stuff because no one else is crazy enough to want to sit in a hedge for 14 hours. But I know the place where I found a couple of fox dens now with him. I know why they're there because I won't give away the location, but it's so inaccessible and it's in a valley. And to get to where they are, you have to cross sort of, you know, bog area, bog areas for at least 45 minutes. And we call it Fox Valley. I've, I've seen about now I've seen about 20 different foxes there. And there's three oh, wow. different families that we found last year. And it's because no one can get to them. Yeah, they're clever. They're yeah. smart. I mean, you know, when you talk about this, the effort that you've made just to see one fox and actually on social media, you've got some really beautiful pictures because you know, subsequently, obviously, you spent a lot of time there. I feel like a cheat. You know, I go <laughs> 10 minutes up the road and uh, or not even that. I'm in my garden studio now they come and hang out on the roof there you know it's, it's so unfair you know the, the countryside fox photographer has to work really really hard it is unfair I'm not gonna lie I'm not gonna <laughs> the second this is all over I'm coming for a visit wouldn't that be nice so you can just have a cup of tea like and just watch them that has happened yeah. that has happened yeah See, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> you can come and have a cup of tea and, and watch my foxes. Definitely, when the when the when the lock when the lockdown is done. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you talk about uh, being involved uh, with charities and making films for charities, but you yourself are a, an ambassador for well, quite a few charities now. Yes. Yeah, I am. Um, 
wildlife trusts being one um, that are, you know, they're a fantastic charity. Everything that they stand for, believe in and campaign for, you know, their fingers on the pulse of everything. And it's it's an honour to be an ambassador for them. It really is. But also the UK Wild Otter Trust, um, the Cornish Seal Sanctuary, Prickles and Paws Hedgehog Rescue, you know, some of them, they're more local to me, but the work that they do at rescuing, rehabilitating, poorly orphans, it's just the people that actually do the work on the front line. If ever you get bogged down and like, oh God, why am I doing this? You just go and spend a day with the people that actually work on the front line in our charity sector within the UK or wherever you may live. And you see the work that's going on, you're like, yeah, do you know what? These people give up their time day in, day out to protect our species. That's important. I want to help them. I want to help them do their job because their job is really important, you know? So it's it's brilliant and i mean what do you what what does an ambassador do i mean do, you know what what are your role for the for these charities just basically you know be involved in their campaigns be involved in their meetings push whatever they've got going on at the moment i mean it was during covid you know the cornish seal sanctuary had to completely close um so i was doing posts for them um managed to get managed to get prickles and paws hedgehog rescue on the telly so that was um just uh, it's just about doing what we can and um we were planning myself and one of my best friends sophie pavel we did a huge big charity walk for the wildlife trust not last year the year before now god it's so nuts we've lost a year haven't we we really have. We did a massive charity walk raising money for the Wildlife Trust and we were planning to do another one in 2020, but of course that didn't happen. But hopefully we're going to pick that up again this next year. It's just being a voice for the charity, raising funds when you can. Really want to get stuck into more fundraising this year. But of course it's a bit insensitive because there's, so many people have lost their jobs and... I've been affected by COVID. It's a tricky one. How do you get the tone right? You know, can you can you give us some money to support hedgehogs when they might have lost their jobs? So it's again, it's another one. It's reading the room, isn't it? But yeah. and just keep yeah. talking and pushing on social media about issues of conservation, making people fall in love with wildlife, so that then hopefully they can they feel like it's a part of them so they can get on board with supporting it as well, you know? Yeah, and, and I think maybe the it's about the messaging, isn't it? Which, which, of course, I'm sure they do tactfully, but, you know, so let, we know everybody's had a really tough year. You know, spare spare what you can because yeah. these charities and organisations do still need money and they've been affected hugely over, over the last year because, that, yeah, it's the first thing to go, isn't it? Yeah. Um, is your is your spare cash that you've, you're going to give to a charity you think actually i need that now yeah. so yeah no well yeah the more we can do for charities in in the coming year the the better but hearing you talk about your work as an ambassador social media presenting with the bbc making your own films you've also got a husband and a dog 
how do you how do you maximize your efficacy of, of across all of the, all of this work hannah you know how do you feel you can be you know really effective as a as a campaigner a presenter and all the other things you do matt i have the most unhealthy work life balance of anybody <laughs> that i know i mean it's it is absolutely ridiculous husband thinks i'm a lunatic like a, a lunatic i get up at 5am every single day I have done for years, um, even when it's a weekend and I'm supposed to be having time off, I'll still be doing something um, because I think it's really, really important. You know, we've only got one life. I'm not going to be around forever. We are at a serious, serious crossroads. What we do in the next 20 years towards our environment, even in the next 10 years, will shape the future of the human race and every single living thing on this planet. So, you know, if that means me working like a lunatic, whether it, I mean, people always, people see a lot of the front facing stuff I do and they don't realize that I'm constantly doing stuff as well behind the scenes that might not be front facing researching or working on other projects, working with charities which is just as important, if not more important, than the front-facing stuff I do. Do you know what I mean? It's like helping helping people get it right. And so, yeah, I don't really have a lot of time for anything else. <laughs> no time for a lie. I get up at 5 a.m. every day, um, take Isabel out, who's my absolute world, and then I'll get up at 5 a.m. every day unless I'm hungover. Then that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. But, um, yeah, it's just it's crunch time and I've sort of fallen into this path and I've got to just give it my all because yeah. it's important, you know. <laughs> and do you have anything outside of it? Um, obviously, apart from, you know, going on beautiful walks with your dogs and that explains all the wonderful sunrise pictures as well that we get to see on your social media so yeah we will definitely we're going to put all the links up for your social media for the people that don't follow hannah already yeah she's got some great pictures and i said god yeah you're up early every day um, aren't you? I'm, I'm up early and i'm out and about well before this matt i mean like i said at the beginning you know i i used to be an avid party girl and i still do love a party and i love a festival you know yeah. I, I love that. I live for that. I always will. But of course, this last year, that kind of hasn't really happened. So um, in regards to your question, is there anything else outside of this? No, not at the moment, because I can't go to the pub. Okay. <laughs> but come summer, when we've all had our vaccinations, and we're allowed to go to gatherings, again, I will be going to every single gathering. And I will be hugging everybody all the time when we can hug again. That's it. I'm going to sit on people's laps and meet them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I know it's another one of those simple things, isn't it? Like to be, to be able to hug someone, that, that connection that, that we just thrive for. It's really, um... really difficult. I think that's that's the hardest thing. I mean, moved my mum to Newquay, not last, last year, the year before, because um, she's getting older and I wanted her to be closer to me. And... Um, I've been going to see her, but I've just been going and standing in her garden. So she's at her kitchen window and I've been in her garden putting out a badger food and stuff. And um, <laughs> just not being able to have a cuddle. It's yeah, it's brutal, isn't it? Really, really hard. So, I mean, you've 
you know, one of my questions was going to, how, you know, how do you remain positive in, in, in times of, of, you know, biodiversity being on such a downward spiral, mm-hmm. environmental issues, climate change, of course. I mean, I think you kind of answered that already just by working so hard at it. But is, is there anything else that kind of stops you from, you know, screaming into a pillow? Or maybe you do do that. I don't know. It's, maybe that does help. Do you know what, Matt? It is difficult. And sometimes uh, I will disappear from my social media for like a week or so and people are like, oh, where are you? Are you okay? And it's it's usually because I, I do suffer with eco-anxiety really, really badly. And sometimes it it overtakes me that much. I don't know how to communicate it to the audience that I have online. So I'm just like, do you know what? Don't say anything at all because you're going to go on a rant, you know? <laughs> and 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 that could be good that could be bad so sometimes I just I have to take a step back and process these thoughts in my own head but then you have to focus on on the positives and the positive stories you know because out of the 95% of absolute shit that's happening in the world we have to cling on to the good stuff. We have to, you know. And it's thinking about memories as well. I mean, one film that I made in South Africa a few years ago for BBC Earth was we covered the story of Tandy, Tandy, a rhino, the first rhino ever to survive a poaching attack. And she's gone on to have four calves. Oh, wow. Amazing story. And that one story, it's one animal, yeah, that one story went around the world and because it was a positive story with one animal, it reached millions and millions of people and completely changed the face of rhino conservation as we know it. And there's stories like that that are so, so important and just cling on. To, I cling on to them. I'm like, well, hang on. This is bad. But think about that. And also clinging on to when you've had experiences with wildlife, you know, close encounters, that seeing the foxes last year, really, really special. I'm like, oh, God, why am I doing this? It's another rainy day. I'm stuck in front of the computer. You know, it's it's, it's funny on when we're working on Spring Watch, especially this last year. You know, we're constantly telling people, get outside. It's really good for you. Go and see some wildlife. We we don't see any ourselves for like two months. <laughs> I see it coming through on the vision mixer, but that's it, you know. Um, do as I say, not as I yeah, do. Exactly. Go outside is good for you, but I can't. <laughs> but no, it's it's clinging it's clinging on to those positive stories and and your personal experience as well, those magical experiences that remind you why you do this. And I do, even when I'm really, really busy, I will make myself go outside. I, I, I will. Yeah. And that's the beauty of having Isabel, my dog, because she needs a walk. So I need, I have to walk her. And yeah. it does make a huge difference. Sometimes if I've been yeah. stuck in for three days on the computer, I'm like, and husband's been walking her, I'm like, no, I've got to go and I've got to get outside. And it does make a difference. Yeah. And it does. It really and does. it reminds you why you do it. You look at the sunset, you know, you're like, God, our natural world is phenomenal. This cannot, cannot disappear, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
It's brilliant. It's so inspiring hearing you talk. It's great. And actually, I was, I've wanted to ask you this earlier, but I'm, I'm still curious as to who your influences were when you were, were, were growing up. And did you have and do you continue to have any any mentors or people that, that inspire you? Do you know what? You've said, you sent me these questions before and I looked at that and that was a tricky one for me because every day I'm inspired by something different, somebody else, a different campaign. I mean, you, you know, you post a photo of a fox picture. I'm like, oh, got to go and see my foxes. But I think growing up, I always remember, do you remember David Attenborough's Wildlife on One? It used to be yeah. on on a Thursday night at eight o'clock. And I remember when me and my brother were little, we had gymnastics on a Thursday night. And mum always used to come and pick us up and rush us home because I had to watch <laughs> David Attenborough at eight o'clock. Brilliant. And then, so that was always there. But as I carried on through my zoology degree, Diane Fossey, you know, she she was a huge influence and inspiration because, you know, she didn't study zoology. Her path into becoming one of the world's most renowned primatologists she was just an ordinary person to yeah. Africa because she was interested in going there and wanted to find out more about it, you know. And she, yeah. t- t- I think she borrowed money. It cost her a year's salary. I think it was about £8,000, $8,000 she borrowed to go to Africa for the first time, you know. She, she, I didn't know she, that. It's amazing. Yeah, she studied um, – she, she was an occupational therapist. That's what she did – and so, and for me, always just classing myself as a very average, normal person, Diane Fossey was a very average, normal person who her legacy speaks for itself at what she did for mountain gorillas and that whole journey. She wasn't even a zoologist. So for me, you know, she's always been a massive, massive inspiration. Like if she can do it, if she can change people's minds then why can't I and why can't anybody else listening to this? Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you're from. You could you could be a nail technician. You might end up saving African elephants. Who knows? You know, you never know what path you're going to end up. Yeah, that's great because there are all sorts of barriers, aren't there? Just, you know, we talked about them earlier, class, race. But I think I was. it's interesting hearing you talk about Diane Fossey because I was thinking, yeah, there, there will be people listening to this that will think, well, well, if Hannah can do it, you know i can do it there are you know there are no better and i'm obviously i mean that in the nicest possible way but that's you know your story is great and 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 inspiring so listen we're going to slowly wrap this up um i'm sure you've probably got to get back in front of your computer no you've got to go outside you've got to go outside and i'm waiting for the snow i'm waiting for is it coming is it coming the sun's come out now (laughs) i've had honestly i've had enough if i see any more snowy photos i'm not going to be able to go on social media today i'd love to snow i'd love it but it's not it's not coming it's just not the right climate down there is it (laughs) too wet too warm (laughs) um you know we've touched on this briefly already but you know i ask all my guests this you know advice for younger people wanting to get into this field um, and whether that's being a photographer filmmaker or presenter or doing everything like you do 
you know, where does where 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 do they start? Um, how do they not get put off by it being an elite subject? I think you know, with social media, that is an it can be used in a really wrong way, but it is also an amazing tool that everybody now has access to, and just start doing it, even if. Even if you think, or even if you're scared about it, or you don't think anybody's going to listen to you, you'll find your audience. They'll find you eventually. Just start doing it. Start talking about it. Say yes to everything. Yes, you end up working seven days a week and getting up at 5 a.m., but just start doing it and do it for the right reasons as well. You know, if you're getting it, if you're getting into what life, and wildlife conservation for money or fame. Believe me, you, you picked the wrong industry. What is that saying? They said, find a job you love and you'll never work a, a day again for the rest of your life. But underneath, it actually means work incredibly hard, work every single hour under the sun, don't get paid <laughs> enough for it, and basically have no social life. That's what it means. But... <laughs> but no, honestly, do just start doing it and you'll find your yeah. voice, find your way. You know, I'm still, I'm learning every day. Every single yeah. day I'm learning. Sometimes I'll do something and it doesn't work. Sometimes I'll do something yeah. and it flies and you didn't think it would do so well, you know? Yeah. So just start doing it and start saying yes and get involved in your local conservation charities, Doorstep Wildlife, because no matter where you live whether it's the countryside in an urban environment you will have a local wildlife rescue center or a charity that start getting involved with them see how they work help out because you will automatically be around surrounded by like-minded people that will spur your interest and give you more ideas and more passion you know yeah I think it's great to hear. It's also great to hear, you know, you're talking about like not getting into it for the money because I think still it's changing a little bit, but people automatically assume, oh, Hannah's on the telly. She must be loaded. And here we are. <laughs> that was true, darling. I really wish it was. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> Those teeth are not natural. They must have cost a fortune. <laughs> That's what me that's what annoys me that's what people assume I'm like no mate they're homegrown I haven't homegrown that should be your handle actually shouldn't it under all your social and media homegrown teeth <laughs> but no yeah do it do it for the right reasons and coming back to your question about imposter syndrome you know I do, I do get a lot of, 99% uh, of the stuff I get online is overwhelmingly positive and supportive, but I do get a lot of nasty stuff as well. Um, but, and then people assume, yeah, you know, it's money and it's fame. It's not. But if you come back to your morals and remember why you're doing it, you're doing it for these reasons, because we're at a, absolute crisis if you keep coming back to that then you will do well because you won't care what anybody else thinks you'll just crack on and do it because you know the reason why you're doing it. Yeah. it's not for money it's not for fame it's not it's not to impress anybody it's not to get white sparkly teeth it's because you actually want to make a difference and if you hold on to that you'll be fine 
Yeah, and at that chimes with what Joanne MacArthur was talking about, who I've, I've interviewed her twice now on this podcast. And I find it fascinating because, you know, she goes into slaughterhouses and fur farms and documents that side of animal photojournalism. And it's, you know, it's harrowing work. She's been doing it 30 years, suffered from PTSD. And, you know, it's the big question that everyone asks her, how, how do you cope? And she says that she basically makes it not about her and she's there to do the work it's there and it's about the animals so you really have to make it not about you and i think that's really good advice moving forward do it because yes you love it and you're passionate about it but you're doing it for the betterment of conservation the betterment of that specific animal and that's what we really need ultimately totally i mean wildlife conservation and the environment is is bigger than all of us Let's be honest, we've only got one planet to live on and it's in trouble. So let's put the egos aside and just get on with the work because we're kind of, kind of running out of time, you know? <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> right, my final question. Um, tell us your hopes, wishes and dreams for the future. Oh, God. Well, do you, do you think about what you're going to be doing in 5, 10, 15 years no. at all or you just head down... <laughs> It's, it's deep, yeah. It's, it's getting into therapy oh, world. <laughs> oh, we're going deep now. Um, to be perfectly honest, the last few years, things have just happened for me so quickly, and it's been one thing after another. I haven't, I haven't even had time to take a break and sit back and take stock and be like, God, okay, this is what you've done. Where, where do you want to go next? I, I don't know. I really don't know. What I do know is that I want to head more into conservation filmmaking. I mean, the stuff I do is great and I love it and it's been fan I've had fantastic opportunities, but I really want to be telling more stories, the real stories. So that's kind of where I want to be headed within the next five years and it's it's starting to happen now yeah it sounds like you're doing it already yeah. with these I mean, with these films I don't know. can't wait to see them. i don't know what i i have no idea where i'll be in five years i might be back cleaning pub toilets who knows, <laughs> who knows? and if i am that'll be all right do you know what i mean it will be it will be okay i know where my fox den is I'll be quite happy. <laughs> That's brilliant. You know, in, when, in the kind of hopes, wishes and dreams question, I never think that I'd get the answer that you'd be cleaning toilets in five, ten years. But yeah, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Hannah, it's been so lovely talking to you. And finally, um, we did it. This is great. Um, and uh, we're going to put all the links up. Um, hopefully there'll be some people that listen to this who don't know you and We'll start following you on social media and watching you on all the watches and catch up with all the films you're doing. But I love your work. I love your energy. And um, I'm sure the listeners will too. And we will have to catch up again maybe in a year or so um, <laughs> when you've got the bit between your teeth. You've been out there. You've made all these films. It's going to be really exciting to see the content that comes back. And um, you know, you know, we know we love the British wildlife, but it is definitely time for for something new for you and for everyone else. So thank you so much for coming on and um, we'll see you again. Thank you. 
Wow, what a start. And again, thanks so much to Hannah for giving up her time for me and in turn all of you to hear her inspirational story and time and time again when listening to the stories of all my guests over the years one thing that rings true for all of them is just how hard they work 5am every day perhaps not for everyone but a testament to hannah's determination to make a difference in her community and the wider public and i can't wait to see the film she produces once she's set free from lockdown so head over to her page on the podcast section of my site to find out more. And if you don't already, follow her on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And please share this podcast and her story with your friends, family, and loved ones. Leave a review on iTunes. The podcast is now on Spotify. It's also on Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. And don't forget to check out naturettl.com for a wealth of information and inspiring content. Use the code MAT10 for a 10% discount on all ebooks. And until the next time, thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.